Welcome to the Fantasy Zone Podcast with Ralph Mazone and Evan DePauli as your captains on the deck. Strap yourselves in for we are about to take off into the unknowns of fantasy sports deep space. Together we will explore the eons of fantasy information and challenge unknown dangers to bring our fantasy rosters out of the black holes. Episodes coming Tuesday and Friday on the podcast sections of Spotify, Apple, and Google. November 17th and welcome to the Fantasy Zone podcast. I'm Ralph Mazone and with me is Evan DePauli. Say hi Evan. Hello everybody. Today we're going to be talking about our own personal fantasy league updates. We'll go into some injury updates, stars or mars, a fantasy dissection which is a new segment uh waiver wire got a little stats on stats on stats yet another new segment And then we'll finish off with a Thursday night preview. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Evan? Yes, sir. Let's go with league updates. Now, how did you do in our standard and PPR leagues? I'll start with PPR because I'm still first place after a less than one point win where Dalvin Cook made it as difficult as possible to get 13.3 points. He got there in the end, though, so we won't complain. We're 9-1 and one there and looking strong uh, with my star wide receivers, quote-unquote, that are carrying me. Standard isn't going as well. So after starting 3-0, I am now 4-6 and six and tied for the last playoff spot, despite the fact that I have Michael Thomas, CMC, Aaron Jones, and a boatload of other top 10 and top 15 wide receivers and running backs. I have been getting trade offers from... Uh, many people, you're one of them, uh, our good friend Manoli, and it seems like everyone's trying to uh, hostile take over my team. I guess you guys all sense desperation. And so today I have decided to sink or swim with my team. That is, I will either make the playoffs with what I have because it is clearly talented and good as a fantasy football team, or I will fail. The main reason why I was targeting you. I was mainly only targeting CMC, right? And the thing about CMC is that he's injured and he might come back this week. He might come back next week. But the thing is that if you're struggling to make it into a playoff spot and you need the wins now and he won't come back before the bye, let's say, then in your playoff, in your push to get into the playoffs, you won't have him there. So... My argument was, I'll trade you a package, a very good package, for for immediate help now to get you into the playoffs, uh, rather than hoping that CMC will come back. Although, for, I think CMC will come back earlier, before the bye, so you might be safe on that. But uh, it's still quite risky, and there might be some other people out there that are struggling because of CMC being out. And if you need that last second push, and you don't want to take the risk, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate on tra- trading McCaffrey as long as the package is good enough. It has to be 
extremely good quality value, hundred percent. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I understand your logic, and that's why I had looked into it. Um, your packages were, were good. I mean, Gibson is, is a more than adequate replacement, and then you were offering some very startable running backs and receivers. But, you know, the thing is I'm, I'm pretty deep at those two positions. So for me, I would rather go into the playoffs, like hope to make it with CMC, than, you know, make the playoffs and then not have my best possible lineup. Yeah, and, and because I'm scared of your lineup, like there's a part of me that's looking at your opponents <laughs> and I'm like, do they have any struggling stars or stars that are injured? And then I start trading them the pieces just to tr give you like the hardest time to get in because your team Thanks. is quite scary. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm eighth. I'm still in at the moment and we both think CMC will be back sooner rather than later. So, I mean, at this point in the season, fantasy football is about survival. You make the playoffs and you survive. It doesn't I, matter who you start, you just you just survive on to the next week and that's how you win. And that that is exactly survival. That is the key word for my PPR roster because currently I'm tied for the last playoff spot and I, I feel like I can't even afford another loss. And if I get another loss, I'm probably going to be out. Like it's that thin a margin that I'm riding. And I'm playing against uh, three players that are around me, three teams that are going to be around me. Like more notably, we're going to be, I'm going to be playing our good friend Adamo. I think this week he's a game up on me. And then I'm playing against a guy who is a game down on me. And then I'm playing against a guy who's equal with me in record right now. So those are like three crucial matchups that'll make or break my bid to defend my championship in PPR. And then in standard, standard I'm sitting quite comfortably. I had Dalvin Cook. I needed him to win me a standard matchup, but my opponent had Justin Jefferson and he had a really, really good game and I couldn't I couldn't edge him out. I needed the Cook touchdown, but the defense of the Bears, the front, was scary. He was only able to get any actual production when Hakeem Nix was out, but man, that was tough. Yes, sir, you took the words right out of my mouth. We learned something valuable about the Bears' defense. Uh, Dalvin Cook couldn't even really run on them until Hicks went out, so if you face them in the playoffs with a middle running back, beware. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The Bears are definitely not an easy matchup at all, at all. All right, so that is it for our league updates. Now we're going to go into the injury portion, and it was not as bad as previous weeks, maybe because all these stars are already injured or had been injured for a month prior, so we're starting to get them back. So, I mean, it's still it's still some pretty big names that are out there. Do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, Drew Brees uh, has... <laughs> okay, well, what doesn't he have? He's got... Uh, multiple rib fractures. I heard as many as five, possibly more. He's got a collapsed lung uh, when those uh, ribs fractured. Multiple weeks, that goes without saying. And we're looking at uh, Jameis Winston uh, replacing him. I don't believe Taysom Hill, and I think we'll get into that later, uh, is the replacement. They haven't shown a willingness to use him as a pure quarterback. So, And they, they put Winston in last game. So I guess that tells you all you need to know. Um, they optimistically estimate that he will be back in two to three weeks, and so he might go on IR. I'm not really sure if he's going to be back in time for the fantasy playoffs, so if you have Breeze in a Superflex or two-quarterback league, I wish you good luck replacing him because it's not going to be easy. 
No, for sure not. All right, moving on. Well, because we are going to cover this quite in depth later on, the effects of Drew Brees not being on the Saints. So we'll, we'll get together later. It's a little tease for later on. Uh, so next up, we have Jamichael Hasty. He has a broken collarbone. I do believe he went on the IR, or he's at least expected to go in the IR, and he is definitely going to be out for this weekend. I saw Matt Stafford appeared in the injury report. He, I think they said that they were looking at a possible ligament strain in his hand, and they're going to be doing some tests like to see how he throws the ball during practice to sort of judge whether or not he's going to be in or if they might actually put him through surgery. Okay. Uh, we have Chris Carson, and I'll mention Carlos Hyde also. Uh, Hyde is looking good to play, according to Pete Carroll. Uh, Carson, they're still not sure. Something to honor with the Thursday night game. Uh, I would expect Hyde to play and Carson not to play as things stand now, but there's a chance Carson plays, so you really need to monitor that. Uh, next, we have, I believe, Jack Doyle. Uh, he's in concussion protocol, and we will have to wait and see how that goes. Ordinarily, this wouldn't be a big deal, but because tight end is so scarce this year, maybe you are starting Jack Doyle. So that being said, uh, monitor that. Well, it, especially for Jack Doyle, this also has an effect on the other two tight ends on their team, Moali Cox and Trey Burton. Those guys are going to be looking at getting a little bit more involved in the pass game with Doyle, with Doyle not being there. Yes, sir, and Rivers loves his tight ends, so that could really help them out. So next up we have here is uh, David Johnson. Uh, the only like he didn't play last week. The only reason why we're mentioning him is because he was put on the IR late last week, so we didn't get to really touch on that on the Friday. So he's going to be out for uh, multiple weeks. Um, two more. Two more at the very least. We'll see how he goes. He'll be. I think he'll be back for the playoffs. Yeah, I'm surprised because these concussion protocols, uh, when they put them on IR, you know, it's pretty bad because it's often they clear. I wonder if it's just because the Houston Texans are uh, not great. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to take the next one? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have your Calvin Ridley, big wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. He had a foot injury. Uh, his status is a little up in the air. I heard that he is on the field, but he's running with a trainer. I'm guessing they're just testing the foot out. So it's very possible that he actually comes in for a limited session. I didn't see any updates today if he was in, if he did put in a limited session. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get in there. And uh, but he I would say it's still 50-50 right now for Ridley's availability uh, during this week. I would agree with that, sir. Next, we have Adam Lazard. He was activated from the IR today. Uh, we would both expect him to play, though it isn't exactly confirmed yet. If he plays, uh, expect a downgrade from Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, you should probably not rush to the waiver wire to add him if Lazard comes back. Next, Chris yeah. Thompson is out. Or did you want to add something, Ralph? Uh, just for the Chris Thompson thing, um, this has very little impact fantasy-wise. Right. Uh, it just means that I guess Robinson's going to get even more targets. Yeah, Robinson season. Yeah. Uh, LaVisca Cheneau is back at practice, though I cannot imagine anyone is really starting him. Uh, so we'll move on. Ralph, take the next one. Yeah, Jordan Howard. He was He's out. He was actually, I think he was placed <laughs> on IR, but they in the end, they didn't even bother with that. They just released him. 
So now Jordan Howard is a free agent and should not be in any of your rosters because even if he does get picked up by somebody else, I don't imagine him being very productive where which wherever he ends up going. Oh, the mighty have fallen. Oh, yeah. All right, next we have Austin Eckler. Uh, Coach Anthony Lynn said that it is still too early to expect Eckler to practice this week. So they are uh, hopeful that he'll be able to return. Uh, we'll get to Kalen Balaj. He's done a fantastic job at filling in. Yeah. Next, we have Andy Dalton. Um, on He's been activated from the COVID IR. He's been practicing full, and he looks like he's ready to go. Uh, you might be wondering why I'm mentioning Anthony Dalton, just because he's probably like the 30th-ranked QB. But for those of us who are in two QB leagues, like myself, who has to decide between a Matthew Stafford who might have one hand less to play with or Andy Dalton or Sam Darnold who is actually been declared out already the options are pretty thin I might have to look into other QBs that might be out there on the waiver wire but uh, it's not looking great well, there's no, there's nothing that says in a super flex that you have to start a second QB. I think usually I don't start my second QB. I mean, that's what happens when you have the Giants QB as your second QB. Yeah, but Dalton might actually be my only QB ah. if, uh, if Stafford's MRI comes out and his tests go poorly. Okay, next we have Zach Ertz, status unknown. Uh, he is designated to come off the IR this week. I'm not too sure, Ralph. Do you know if he's actually going to be in the lineup? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem too hopeful. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nah. Okay, next. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, Tyler Lockett. Knee injury, knee sprain needs to be monitored. If he misses practice consistently, he might be in danger for the Thursday night game. Remember, we have to, that's like way closer. If this was on Sunday, I think he might have a good chance at playing. But if this happens to be a serious knee injury this could be uh bad news for his thursday availability well i have locked it and from what i read it's minor swelling but the swelling does need to go down and like you said because it's a thursday night game and you miss practice again on tuesday uh, it's not looking good if you have locked you might need to look at other plans next uh ray mostert uh, i think a lot of people are expecting him back this week he was running with the trainer uh, nothing is confirmed but i mean if um, you know, Hasty's got that broken collarbone. McKinnon got banged up too, so his status is in doubt. So if Mozart can go, I would expect him to go this week. Uh, yeah, Christian McCaffrey's next on our list, but we've already talked about him and how we expect his absence to, uh, how long it's, we expect it to go. So we're just going to move on to Mike Davis, his replacement, who has a dislocated finger. And, you know, fingers are quite useful in football Important. especially for guys like him you know you got to hold on to that ball and he's been catching a lot of balls you need your fingers definitely to catch the ball so we'll have to monitor his availability for the rest of the for this weekend uh, do you know who would be after mike davis if you can't go uh, maybe know who that third guy is no but maybe curtis samuel he <laughs> we've seen him being used from the backfield and as a pass catcher so why not? Alec Cordero Patterson. Or Ty Montgomery. Okay. Uh, Drew Locke, uh, he's got a rib injury. Uh, it's a severe strain and bruising. It is not broken, and his status for Miami is uncertain, uh, but it doesn't sound like they're counting on him. Next, we have Bridgewater. 
and he seems to have suffered it during the game, but he was able to finish it, so that was that's good. And his coach Matt rules hopeful that he will be practicing on Wednesday, and I do expect him to practice tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Sam Darnold is out, and we are treated to Joe Flacco, the gift that keeps on giving this holiday season. If he keeps on throwing it deep with heavy, uh, with those healthy receivers, he might, uh, he might not sink your fantasy roster if you have to start one of those receivers. But don't start Flacco, absolutely not. Don't start him. I will be definitely starting Jameson, Jameson Crowder, just because he will get twenty targets probably. That's the hope. Want to take the last one? Yeah, the last one, Garoppolo. Uh, high ankle. He's still on the IR. Shanahan is optimistic to have him back before the end of the year. So we'll see how that plays out. And it, it would it would be nice to have him. He's he's solid. And I mean, if that if he doesn't come back, then the 49ers with Mostert is going to be an even heavier run offense. All right. Fantastic. The next segment we have for you is Stars or Mars. Ralph, yes. you want to start us off? Yes, yes, Stars or Mars. This is where we tell you which players we found from last week are the stars and which players we found last week were on a trip to Mars, not even on this planet. So I will start us off with the stars. I have here Tom Brady, Josh Jacobs, and Deontay Johnson. But let me first talk about Tom Brady. That guy had a phenomenal week. He was, went 28, 28 for 39, 341 yards, three touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown, which does not happen very often in Tom Brady's career. And I, I was looking at his schedule, and oh boy, his fantasy wow. playoffs, Minnesota, Atlanta, Detroit. Just fire up this guy. I Well, the theory, here's the thing. He's an older man. I'm hoping that, I mean, do you remember way back when, when Peyton Manning was career was coming to an end in that second half, he was always, he was always doing very poorly. He would do well first half, second half, not so well. I'm kind of concerned about that for Tom Brady. He is 44 years old, but I'm hoping with this beautiful schedule, he could keep it up. And I'll, now I'll talk a little bit about Josh Jacobs. 112 yards, two rushing touchdowns, 24 reception yards, which is really good in PPR because, you know, he gets a lot of rush attempts, and it's nice to see him get those uh, receptions. He has an upcoming schedule of Kansas City, which is a little tough. The Falcons, the Jets, those are some really nice matchups. Then in the playoffs, this is where it gets a little tricky. The Colts. The Chargers, which is a favorable matchup, but then the Dolphins in the championship week. And the Dolphins is one of those teams, it's hard to judge. It's hard to judge how well, if it's just a mirage, what's happening right now, because they're playing solid football. And my last star, as I mentioned before, Deontay Johnson. Johnson six receptions on 11 targets, 116 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, what's more amazing about this is that Juju, Claypool, his teammates, his fellow wide receivers, and himself were all top 10 wide receivers. Now, that doesn't happen very often, and I'd be very intrigued to see against Jacksonville next week. And then, like, with three productive receivers like that, I would say these th three guys could be matchup-proof because... 
you know, these defenses are going to have to account for all three of them, right? I would agree with that. I would say they're matchup-proof in the right matchup. So I realize that's kind of counterintuitive. Well, it really against, depends let's on... Say, let's say against yeah, Baltimore. Yeah, so because against Baltimore, you really have to look at uh, what the Steelers' game plan is. Because uh, Baltimore, what they did so well is that uh, they took away the uh, deep plays, so it was a lot of uh, juju time. And, you know, the Bengals, they allow a lot of deep balls, so then that's where you really see Deontay and, and Claypool uh, take precedence. So, And the other thing is, um, Roethlisberger missed practice all week because of being on the COVID list. So that really affects how they game plan, and I think that he, his plan was really just to take advantage of mismatches. And, you know, Claypool is often a mismatch, so... It's kind of hard to predict. Uh, I'm not always comfortable starting uh, those Steelers receivers, but in the right matchup, yes, you could definitely start them all. Yeah, like this was a mistake on my part. Like, I should have recognized this as a good matchup, and I should have played him. Because if I would have played him, I would have won my standard matchup. But you know, that's on me. But and we move on. We will we, move on to yes. my stars and. If it makes you feel better, I didn't start Claypool, and I also would have won had I started Claypool. Ouch. Yeah. So, my stars. Ben Roethlisberger is my number one star this week. He did not practice, uh, came in, and threw 333 yards and four touchdowns uh, without even uh, sticking to the playbook. Um, he does this thing where he just he looks at the defense and he designs the play in the huddle. They're, they're letting him, him play this year to his strengths. And in my opinion, he should be in the MVP conversation because the numbers don't show it, but he's 9-0 and he does what's needed to be done every week. He's only got four interceptions, which is really, really good for him. And uh, yeah, hopefully he can keep it up against the Jaguars this week. Next, uh, this is going to be a weird name to hear as a star, but Cole Beasley. He's been Mr. Consistent. Um, Josh Allen seems to really like to look for him as a safety blanket. Um, I'm looking at his PPR scores here, and he always, always, always gets around 10 points. It's a nice floor. He's got two stinkers, but more often than not, you can bank on him for 10 points. Last week against Arizona, 109 yards and a touchdown. I think John Brown's out, so he could get more work. His playoff schedule is pretty tough, so I wouldn't rely on him in the playoffs, but if you need that desperate uh, start, Cole Beasley could be your guy, and he is available on many waiver wires, though not in hours, of course. Okay, my last guy. Um, so the morning of uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, we got word that uh, they were going to give Swift the majority of the carries, and Matt Patricia finally realized that Adrian Peterson uh, is going to retire eventually, and he decided to give Swift the ball. And boy, oh boy, was he rewarded. Uh, very sorry, Nick, that we could not do a Sunday morning show to help you out there. But here are his numbers. 81 rushing yards, 5 receptions for 68 yards and a touchdown. He was a top 10 PPR fantasy scorer last week, and I hope you started him. So those are my three stars. Um, Ralph, did you want to move on to who we're shipping off to Mars? Well, I just want to add something about Swift. He reminds me... I think he might have the home stretch here that's very similar to what Miles Sanders did last year. And uh, Miles, I know very well that Miles Sanders helped me win a championship last year, 
And I do believe Swift will be that guy to help win you a championship this year as well. Start Swift. So, yeah, uh, I think you should start with the Mars. All right, no problem. So who I'm shipping off to Mars? I am shipping off uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Uh, they were playing the worst pass defense of all time in Seattle, and they did not even combine for too much more than 20 fantasy points. In fact, Josh Reynolds uh, had a big game, uh, which we'll get to in stats on stats on stats. So Woods and Cup are, are almost risky starts just because of McVeigh's extensive game planning, and you never really know who's going to get the ball. Um, yeah, we expected so much more from them, but they're they're becoming unreliable starts. And you know, if you go into the playoffs with Woods and Cup, and you have other options, I wouldn't blame you for for starting someone else. Anything to add to that, Ralph? I have Cup and Woods in different leagues, and I really hope they don't. Uh, I really hope this doesn't happen every week. That would be horrible. Yeah, because you drafted uh, these guys in the top five or six rounds, and they're not giving you that production. Well, even probably even higher than that. I think Woods was my second receiver that I chose, and Cup was also my second receiver that I chose, and that's. I typically, yeah, fourth, fifth round, like, yeah, they're not, especially Cup. Cup's been more disappointing than Woods. Woods has been a nice PPR guy. I had an interesting stat on Cup, actually, since we're on the subject. Um, he's, uh, his snap count is going down to just over 50%. Uh, it seems like Reynolds is taking snaps away, uh, so it's just something to bear in mind. Uh, yeah, hopefully it works out for the Cup owners out there. Okay, my next guy, Robbie Anderson, he had a white-hot start, and lately he has been ice-cold. If we look up his stats, last week, four receptions for 21 yards. It was Tampa Bay granted, but if I look at all the matchups, uh, one, he hasn't had a touchdown since week one, okay? So the yards have been there, but... Yeah, like, it seems like it was a hot start, and then uh, it's just been downhill from there uh, from week five I've got 112 yards against Atlanta then 77 against Chicago New Orleans 74 and then we start seeing the bad scores 48 yards against Atlanta 63 against KC and 21 against Tampa Bay um, Anderson isn't an automatic start anymore despite his top 15 rank in my opinion last guy we have um, although this is going to hurt to say Darren Waller um, it seems like the Raiders are going run heavy with uh, Booker and Jacobs and Waller has been the uh, forgotten man over there I know it's tight end I know there aren't many options and I know you probably have no choice but to start him um, so your only hope is that he doesn't put up a goose egg I think I'm done with those three, Ralph. Let's ship them off to Mars. Yes, and now I'm going to add three more players. Uh, but I'm hoping that for these three players, it'll be a short trip because I feel like there's going to be some teams that are definitely going to need them for their playoff matchups. So the first guy that I'm going to be talking about is Carson Wentz. He had a stat line of 208 passing yards with just four measly rush yards. And he didn't have a great game. 
and people you know it's hard to predict him because he has all his weapons he doesn't have all his weapons and yet he still has good games and he still has dud games but i think i may have found the answer so um i was while looking at it i noticed that there was quite the trend with his scores is that three of his dud games came from his div his division mates basically so in the four games that he's played against the nfc east he had put up 13 against the washington football team 28 against the giants eight and a half against dallas and around eight and a half against the giants again so it seems like if he's playing against his division mates i would be very cautious and if you look at his schedule He's got Cleveland, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona, and in the championship week, Dallas. So, I mean, I would feel pretty good starting him against Cleveland, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona against Dallas. You might want to find someone else, even though that matchup looks like it's such a great matchup, and you're probably going to do it anyways because you're like, haha, it's the Dallas defense. But it's been the Dallas defense the whole year and they managed to shut down Carson Wentz even though they the Eagles did win that game they won that game in the last second on a Boston Scott improbable reception so Carson Wentz against the NFC East a little scary against everyone else I'd feel comfortable starting him second person I'd like to send to Mars was someone who recently got more opportunities but did nothing with it and that was duke johnson duke 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 overall so yes duke johnson had 14 rushes for 54 yards which is not great at all and he has a playoffs schedule or is it the upcoming schedule anyways it's new england detroit which is okay but indianapolis with that, even with David Johnson's gout, I still wouldn't trust him. Even in Detroit, I probably still wouldn't trust him. Um, New England, Detroit, Indianapolis, I would sit him always. Always, always, always. My third player, and this hurts because I traded for him recently, Michael Thomas. Where are you at, man? Two receptions for 27 yards. Uh, but his schedule, Atlanta... Denver, Atlanta, Philly, Casey, Minnesota. These are favorable matchups. But here's the thing. He has now lost his his ultimate weapon, which was Drew Brees throwing him the ball. And we were we become so accustomed to seeing Drew Brees throwing in such tight windows, Michael Thomas making those improbable catches. What's gonna happen now? Well, I am going to tell you in our newest segment fantasy dissection here we're going to be talking about michael thomas and we're going to be dissecting to see what can we expect from him going forward now here's a little disclaimer sean payton hasn't named a starter yet like we mentioned before between hill and winston I would like to see Winston there. I'm going to assume that Winston is there for the purpose of this dissection. So for this dissection, we're going to be doing Michael Thomas versus Chris Godwin versus Mike Evans because Winston, those were his two guys in Tampa Bay, most notably last year 
where Evans had a solid year and Godwin had a massive breakout year. So in my mind, Michael Thomas is a similar sized guy to Mike Evans, but he plays a similar position to Chris Godwin. But honestly, I think he could do Evans and Godwin. And he might have to because I saw there were some injuries at some other wide receivers and Sanders might fit better into the Godwin role. So that leaves Michael Thomas with something we don't really see him do often, which is going a little bit deep, but we'll see how that plays off. So anyways, back to the dissection. In 2019-2020, Evans and Godwin had 40% of the targets. In 2018, his two favorite receivers in 2018 were Evans and Deshaun Jackson, and they also got 40% of the targets. And what does this tell you? This tells you that when Winston finds his guys, he'll put the majority of the targets into their baskets. 40% is really nice. So if that becomes Thomas and Sanders, I'd feel really good with it being, you know, a vast majority of it going to Michael Thomas and a good portion of it going towards Manuel Sanders. And the reason why I think this is good is, and it's not just going to be Camara all day, all the time, is because Jameis Winston, the reason why we love him so much is because he also turns the ball over and makes games more difficult for him, which turns the games into high-scoring games, which is very exciting for what's going to be coming up. Anyways, back to the Evans versus Godwin versus Thomas. So I did a little bit of digging, and in the past three years, Evans had an average yards per reception of 14.1, 17.7, and 17.3, which is, you know, that's pretty big numbers of how far he's throwing. If we compare that to Michael Thomas, who had 12, 11.2, and 11.6, this just tells you that Winston has a stronger arm, but Drew Brees was throwing them much more accurately to Michael Thomas. And then you have Chris Godwin, who's there with 15.4, 14.3, 15.5. Now, you start thinking to yourself, okay, they have further yards per reception, but can Thomas get there? Can he also get his averages into the 17s, into the 15s from 11s? Well, I started looking at their, comb their combine results, and Evans had a 40-yard dash of 4.53. Thomas had it in 4.57 seconds. So this just tells you that Thomas can probably get down the field just as fast as Evans, which being similar speeds, Winston might see that and try to take advantage of that. And now you start asking yourself, well, Mike Evans is really good at those jump balls. He was always catching those 50-50s. Well, his combine vertical jump was actually 37 inches. See, for Michael Thomas, it was 35. So there's a two-inch difference, but I think that Michael Thomas is a good enough receiver to take advantage of that. So now we're thinking, okay, what about now Godwin? How does Godwin fit into this? Well, Godwin's th three-cone score was in the seven seconds, where Thomas was at 6.8. He, th th Thomas, with 6.8, catching shorter throws he's amazing godwin was a little faster and he was getting further targets so to me this tells me that godwin thomas you know it's a 0.2 second difference but i think winston i mean if he puts it if he puts it in that area he might throw a pick and if it's too far out of thomas if he's used to godwin speed 
But I think that Thomas would also feel comfortable doing Godwin or Evans's stats. And yeah, I mean, I have a little bit more here with uh, separation, yards per separation. And Thomas, in that short range, always found 2.6, 2.7, 2.6 yards of separation, where Godwin and Evans were, well, Evans was getting like between two and two and a half, and Godwin was getting two to 2.8. So already there, I think Thomas can create the separation couldn't go downfield. I think he could do it all for whatever Winston needs. That's my dissection of Michael Thomas going forward with Winston as the quarterback. I hope you learned something and I, I hope you are in the same position as myself while holding Michael Thomas because I think he's going to be a monster going down the stretch. Well said, Ralph. Well said. Uh, I've got one question for you. Um, do you think that uh, there'd be a difference between uh, the receivers like Godwin and Thomas and Evans um, getting downfield in certain types of coverage? For instance, it's probably harder for them to get downfield as quickly in press coverage, which, as we all know, with talented receivers, often if you can't double them, then you've got to kind of press them at the line. Well, I mean... The type of I'm not too concerned about the coverages because Michael Thomas has been a star, so I'm sure he's used to all kinds of different coverages. And it's not like he was a star while he had another star on the team. So like Evans and Godwin, they always had uh, opportunities to benefit off of each other being on the field. Thomas hasn't had that, but he still managed to put in a record amount of receptions last year. And I'm especially now that they're playing with a different quarterback, they won't really know how to play Michael Thomas. They won't know if he's going to be going more into the, into the slot or if he's going to be going down deep. And that's where I think they're, they have a chance to really catch teams off guard. All right. Well done. Thank you. So I have a few stats for you guys in this new segment called Stats on Stats on Stats. Did you know that last week... Moss and Singletary had a combined seven targets for negative eight yards. That is one interesting stat. This Bills running game is a mess. I will get to that in a few moments with some running back snap counts, and I've chosen four teams to do it for. The Bills are one of them. Next stat for you guys. This is interesting. Uh, getting back to the Buccaneers, Godwin in the last two games with Antonio Brown in the lineup has six targets in each game, and he um, usually tends to make the most of his targets. He often catches, I don't know about all of them, but pretty close. So if we're worried about any regression or the Antonio Brown effect on the other receivers, well, Evans is still getting his red zone looks, and Godwin is still getting his targets. Also, Antonio Brown uh, last week dropped a sure 52-yard touchdown, or I should say that Brady kind of overthrew him and he couldn't get his hands on it. Uh, yeah, I'd be very excited about this Buccaneers offense going forward. The last stat I have for you guys, getting back to these wonderful Rams receivers, uh, Reynolds. Reynolds in the last three games has had between 8 and 10 targets in each of those games. He's a free agent in most leagues, so I would highly recommend if Reynolds is out there, you go add him to stash him because uh, Cup isn't getting it done and Woods is inconsistent. So those are my uh, stats on stats on stats. All right. So now the waiver wire. 
Uh, I'll start with my selections I have here. Um, so at this point, we need to be looking at, if everyone's already taken your leagues, you got to be looking for those guys that aren't really rostered. So I'd be looking at capable um, handcuffs. And this week, we're looking at Devontae Booker. He is owned in 0.5% of leagues. And he has just had a game where he had 81 rushing yards and two touchdowns. The Las Vegas Raiders seems to be trending more towards a more run-heavy offense. I mean, they were ahead pretty big. So, yeah, that sort of, the game script sort of helps in that. But Booker, with the stat line, I think it's two games in a row. He had three touchdowns in the last uh, two games. That if Jacobs goes down, you'll be very happy to have Devontae Booker there because he is turning into be a very, very good fantasy option this year. My second guy is going to be the Marvin Jones. And you might think to yourself, wait, didn't you just say target-capable guys? But yeah, but also look for those obvious guys that might not be rostered. Because, you know, Marvin Jones, only owned in 52% of leagues, he had a stat line of 96 reception yards and one touchdown. And it's four straight games with a touchdown for Marvin Jones. Now, with Galladay coming back, am I expecting him to continue? No, not really. But this should make his life a little easier with Galladay there and make at least Stafford's life a little easier. He's a very capable wide receiver. Whoever's going to be throwing the ball, especially a little bit, I think if it's Chase Daniel, he's not afraid to throw it deep. So you could expect that Galladay, Marvin Jones might have similar um outputs if Stafford's not there. My last two pickups are purely fantasy playoff pickups, which is basically you need to be looking at defenses with favorable matchups into the playoffs. Now, this first team, it might they might already be owned in a lot of leagues, but they're available in one of our leagues, and I'm hoping to pick them up. It's the LA Rams. They have been a very, very solid defense throughout. And if you look in the fantasy playoffs, they get to play the Jets and, to a lesser extent, New England. But the Rams look like they could be scary. And even right now, they can be an every week play. They've been shutting down. Like Jalen Ramsey's been very good. Aaron Donald's been very good. This team has been defensively kicking butt. And for my second defense, and this may come as a shock to people, <laughs> it is the Seattle Seahawks. Now you're asking me, how can I let a historically bad passing defense into my waiver wires? And I'll tell you why. They allow 27 points, and they still managed to get 7 fantasy points, which is you know, you know, it could be, it's possible, right? In a game where they allowed 44 points, they still managed to get three points out of it, which is still, which is quite a, impressive. I think the max minus we could get is a team that gets minus three points, right, Evan? Uh, yeah, it's something like that. Like at a certain point, the number of points you allowed, uh, no pun intended, uh, stop hurting you. So then the turnovers and sacks start adding up. Yeah, and I mean, if you're 
a Seattle defense. And okay, you're starting at minus three, but look, they still got three points in a 44 point game. That's pretty impressive. And if you want to look back at the Rams game, they got five points, which is still pretty good considering that it, you know they still allowed some some points, right? And if you're looking, the reason why I mentioned them too is because of their they have the strongest strength of the schedule on the season up like going forward, and for that main reason, it's because they're playing the the Eagles, the Giants, the Jets, and the Washington Football Team. The Jets and the Washington football team are the first and second round of your playoffs, and those are really nice matchups. And they're not crazy high-powered offenses that the Seahawks, like the 44 points, I think, was against the Bills. Like the Giants, the, the Eagles, the Giants, the Jets, the football team are not the Bills. So, you know, I would not be too scared on picking them up they're probably available everywhere because everyone thinks they're a horrendous defense but i think with those four games they could be a very sneaky pick especially if you like streaming defenses those could be good streamers for those four weeks and i include a little bit of um, stats here they have nine interceptions and 22 sacks on the year they're in the above average category in the league i think they're better than it's over half the league so, you know, solid defense. They allow a lot of big plays, and they may allow some points, but they can do interceptions, and they can do some sacks, which will get you big, big points. And if you happen to capture them on a week where they don't allow a lot of points, well, then you're in the money right there, right then and there. Perfect. So, yeah, like Ralph said, this is the time to start looking for those guys you're going to want to use in the playoffs. Um, it's all good to have the Jeremy McNichols of the world, but if you're not going to start him and Henry doesn't look like he's banged up or anything, well, there's nothing wrong with getting a defense or, hey, even upgrade your kicker now. I mean, for up to me, I'd ban them, as you all know, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to start them. So if you've got like a Joey Sly and you're looking to upgrade, uh, it'd be a good time to look at the matchups and uh, yeah, go for pull the trigger. So for my waiver wire pickups, uh, but if you will start with Hines, um, so he had a big game again, as you all know from the Thursday nighter. He ended up with he ended up with 70 yards rushing and a touchdown, five receptions for 45 yards, and one receiving touchdown for 28.5 points. Obviously, pick him up. He needs to be rostered, but but but. So when Hines historically has exploded for a big game, uh, the coach of the Colts tends to not use him for some strange Frank reason. Reich, right? Uh, Reich, or, or even the old, uh, I'm not sure who it was before then. Pagano, it was Pagano. So even, I don't know if they view him as this, like, this running back that can get it done every week. So I, I would situationally start Hines. Um, I'd leave it at that. Like, in the matchup where you think that the Colts might be dumping it off to him, or if you think that Taylor will struggle to get yards, then those are the matchups to target. Anything to add? Nope. Okay, next. Alan Lazard was activated off IR. He needs to be added. Uh, he's got a report with Rodgers, and uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has a history of inconsistency. I don't know which one of them is going to end up being Rodgers number two, but they both need to be rostered, and they're both uh, more or less available in all weeks. So go check it out and add Alan Lazard. Next. I have Kalen Bellage. 
Um, he's probably owned in over 50% of leagues by now, but he does seem to be the bell cow um, in Eckler's absence, and it's not looking like Eckler will be back. So if I just give you some of Bellage's stats for the last two weeks when he had that lead role, he had 69 and 68 rushing yards in those two games. Uh, he got a touchdown in the first game, and he has a combined 50 receiving yards for an average of 15.8 fantasy points uh, PPR per week. Eckler will be back, it seems. I mean, they, they've been mum on his injury, but uh, it wasn't supposed to be a uh, season-ending injury. And Balash has the Jets this week, so that is an automatic start. So if you're desperate, go pick up Balage. Uh, I'm looking right now, NFL.com is actually only 7% rostered, so there's a 93% chance that Balage is available. Uh, go get him and start him this week against the Jets. Next, this is the waiver wire of the week, in my opinion, even if it is short-term. Salvin Ahmed from the Miami Dolphins. Tagovailoa has transformed its offense into a legitimate uh, top-half offense. Uh, these are the stats for Ahmed last week. 85 rushing yards and a touchdown, and then one reception for five yards, 16 points. That being said, uh, they released Howard without even really giving it a thought. Um, Gaskin's out. Patrick Laird is not really relevant anymore. I know he had his you know, big games last year. And he's got the Jets in Week 12. So pick up Salvan Ahmed. You won't be disappointed. He is startable. He's rostered in 2.6% of leagues. Uh, was there anyone else I wanted to get to for you guys? Um, he's probably owned by now, but J.D. McKissick, um, here's an interesting stat. He's got 29 targets in the last two weeks, cementing Alex Smith as the checkdown king. Um, so basically what they're doing with McKissick is they're lining him up in the slot as a receiver, kind of like how the Steelers used to do with Le'Veon Bell, and they've peppered him with targets. He's it's McLaurin and McKissick. So uh, the only thing to keep in mind with McKissick is that his next three matchups, his opponents allow the fewest third fewest and fourth fewest receiving yards to running backs. So even if the targets will be there, probably don't count on any touchdowns or yards. Um, but yeah, McKissick also needs to be rostered at this point. The consistency is just incredible. And so those are my waiver wire ads of the week, everybody. Fantastic. Those are all really good picks. Like Lazard, Rodgers has to throw it to somebody. Kalen uh, Balage. I mean, short term, uh, it's another case of take him away from Adam Gase and he produces, which is really great. Salvon Ahmed, Ahmed, super good. I mentioned him last week. He could be sneaky because he's very similar to Miles Gaskin. And JD McKissick, at you know, which hurts me because I have Antonio Gibson in both leagues. He's been a trustworthy target for. Um, for Alex Smith and I mean I could go on like a rant about this guy but Antonio Gibson was a wide receiver who got converted into a running back why is he getting more re wide receiver routes this makes no sense anyways that's a discussion <laughs> for another day maybe that's another fantasy dissection but so far well I'll have to take my deep breath while I'm watching these football team games so yeah we'll move on now to the Thursday night preview. I guess I'll take on the Seattle team and you'll take on the Cardinals team. Sure. 
So I have your stats listed next to each player, and these are stats that are from the last time they played. Because if you guys remember very correctly, Seattle and Arizona played not that long ago on a Sunday night, and it was a super entertaining game, way better than the, if I remember correctly, was like a super boring Monday night game. So we're going to look at the Seattle side for me. We have at the quarterback position, Russell Wilson. The the Arizona Cardinals are ranked 8th in terms of points against from the QB position, 19 from the RB position, 10 at the wide receiver position, and 25th from the TDE position, a tight end position. So Wilson... You know, the last time they played, he only threw for 388 passing yards, three touchdowns. He threw those three interceptions, but he had 84 rushing yards. That's a monster stat line, and I think he's going to keep that up. So he's definite start. Tyler Lockett, you got to just be very careful with his knee injury and keep a watchful eye. Because the last time he played the Arizona Cardinals, I, I believe we all remember, he had what was it, 20 targets 15 receptions, 200 yards. That is just insane numbers. And three touchdowns, Ralph. And th- oh, yeah, the three touchdowns. Sorry, I forgot about that. And <laughs> well, it's going to be funny because Metcalf had a dud that game because he was supposedly shadowed by Patrick Peterson. So it'll be very interesting to see if Arizona switches on Lockett if he ends up playing, and then Metcalf ends up getting the bigger game. That'll be very interesting to see how that goes. But those both those guys... If healthy, definite starts. At the tight end position, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Russell Wilson throws a touchdown to a tight end in this game, but there's like a carousel of tight ends there, so if you're really desperate, maybe Greg Olson, but that's just a maybe. It's not even, it's not a for sure, so I would stay away from that. Um, Another the running back is a big question mark because Carson, he seems to be trending into being out. So that means Hyde will be in. He's a solid flex. I would definitely have no hesitation starting him in the flex. But can, the last time he played the Cardinals, 68 yards and one touchdown. I think that's it. Like You're not going to be starting the Seattle defense against Arizona. Remember, I said start Seattle against those other opponents. So... Yeah, sit them, and that's it from the Seattle side. All right, then. So uh, to the Arizona side, um, Murray, I mean, I don't need to tell you to start the number one overall fantasy scorer this year. We have a little projection here, I believe, Ralph. Is that what that is? Uh, those are the, that's the stat line from the oh, from last game. game yes. Yeah. So last time we played Seattle, uh, 360 passing yards, three touchdowns, uh, an interception, uh, 67 rushing yards and a touchdown. It's Seattle. He could very well get higher than that. And they can't stop anyone, quarterback or receiver, uh, except Cooper Cup, apparently. Uh, Hopkins, uh, yeah, we all saw that Hail Mary and basically quadruple coverage. I don't need to tell you to start Hopkins. He got 10 receptions for 103 yards. I'm expecting a shootout in this game. Uh, I think Ralph would probably agree with that. So if you have players from these guys that are reliable starters, like the Christian Kirks of the world, um, Kenyon Drake's back. You're for sure starting Kenyon Drake. 
Edmonds is still a flex. I mean, he's getting the ball uh, even with Drake being back. So um, you can start both of them. And yeah, I guess that's it. The tight ends for Arizona, well, I don't think you're starting Dan Arnold. And, uh, yeah, these defenses are not startable under any circumstance. So yeah, that's about it for that game. Um, I'm curious, like Ralph, if Ramsey's going to follow Metcalf again or if they're going to switch him to Lockett. I would expect them to stick with the game plan and shadow Metcalf. Uh, most teams this year have shown that they would prefer to have one-on-one versus Lockett. So, yeah, um, I guess we'll see. But uh, hopefully Lockett can have another huge game. Yep, that's the hope. There's just one more thing I wanted to add. If you happen to be playing players in this game, make sure to put them in their starting, like in the running back slot or the wide receiver specific slot and leave them out of the flex. Just because if you happen to have a guy that's questionable, you know, you want that added flexibility that if you're going to be starting his replacement, it could be either a running back or a wide receiver. So make sure to leave your guys that are playing later on in the week more on your flex just in case. Well said, Ralph. Well said. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, I I see here you have a little bit of notes about um, your favorite player in the league, Antonio Brown. Uh, not my favorite. He used to be up there, though. So Antonio Brown did a bad thing again. Um, he smashed up a camera in a condo association, and the condo association were apparently so scared of repercussions that they did not press charges. The NFL is investigating, though this is part of their usual procedures, and supposedly the Bucks were aware of this before they signed him, and they, uh, to no one's surprise, support Brown fully. And by that, I assume that Brady told them to support Brown fully. So yeah, oh, Brady. Thank God for him. Hey, a real safety. I don't know where he'd be playing. Probably nowhere. Yeah. So. I think now we're going to move on to listener questions. The number one question from our listener, Nicholas Backstrom Pascarella. He was mentioning that he wanted us to talk a little bit about the Bucks backfield, the Pats backfield, and maybe sort of throw in some Chiefs. You got any of those? Yeah, so I'll start with New England since that's his favorite team. Uh here are the snap counts for Burkhead, Harris, and James White. 43%, 39%, and 28%. Those are averages over the last four weeks. Tony Michel is going to eventually get in there somehow. Um, I'm not sure how. It's New England's backfield, and God himself doesn't know who's going to get the ball there. That being said, if I look at the uh, carries and touches. Um, it's Damian Harris who's in the lead here. He's got 16 carries to Burkhead 7 and James White's 1. And if we look at the total touches, uh, again, it's just 16 touches for Harris, so he doesn't have a reception. Burkhead's got 3 receptions, so that bumps him up to 10 total uh, touches. And James White's at 3. And somehow Sony Michelle is going to work his way in there. They've had Burkhead uh, in this similar role many times, and they have always uh, kind of shied away from him. Uh, Burkhead is really a situational running back. I don't think they're going to stick with him. Harris has looked amazing. As you know, uh, you're the one who pointed this out to me, how explosive he looks. So to me, Harris, it's, it's his kind of starting job to lose, though it is New England. So being the start of New England uh, really doesn't uh, mean much these days. 
There's also Cam Newton to contend with. He's going to rush any chance he gets. So I don't know if you had anything to add to the New England backfield. Yeah, well, it, the thing that's helping Harris right now is just he's racking up total yards on only his on only his carries and no receptions, right? And he's not even he's seemingly not even a goal line back. Like you said, Newton's there. I think he's their primary goal line back, but even Burkhead's been getting more goal line reps over Harris, which is just mind-boggling because I think over the last 4 or 5 weeks his average yards per carry has been north of five, which is unbelievably good. So I don't know how they can't not feature him more, and I really hope they do, because that would benefit one of my fantasy rosters that I have him. I drafted him. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that Bill does the right thing and features this guy more. But we know Bellatrix exists, and he... I feel like he will live up to that name yet again over the next little while. Okay, next. Uh, I had other ones, but we'll get to next three because they're actually more interesting than the ones I had uh, written down here. Tampa yep. Bay Buccaneers, the famous Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette conundrum. Just when I thought it was safe to say that it was Fournette's job to lose, uh, Ronald Jones got a record 98-yard touchdown. Uh, I'll give you guys the snaps and the snap percentages. Leonard Fournette in the last four weeks had 56% of the snaps. Ronald Jones had 41%. If you look at the touches, they're roughly 50-50. Uh, we have 12 carries for Ronald Jones and 14 total touches. Fournette's at 9 and 13. If you'd have asked me this two weeks ago, I would say that it, Fournette uh, is the number one and Ronald Jones is kind of the guy that spells him. But after watching last week, uh, Arians... He's a hard coach to predict, but it seems like he's willing to give Ronald Jones more work over Fournette. Um, I kind of regret having traded Ronald Jones away, to be honest. He's a top five rusher in terms of yards this year. He should be started pretty much every week. I don't know what your opinion is on that. I don't know. I'm not too big on Ronald Jones, just mainly because if they're going to win games, it's not going to be with him, I don't think, I don't believe. Um, I know we had this discussion before, that, and my belief is that if you remove that 98-yard touchdown run, it changes the complexion of his game completely. So, I mean, for me, that 98-yard touchdown is obviously more of an anomaly because that doesn't happen very often. And, I don't know, I think that him and Fournette are still going to be splitting it, like you, like you pointed out, and... It's going to be risky. It's going to be risky to play any either one of them. And, I mean, next week it could very well be a Fournette game. Especially, well, I mean, not especially. I mean, if they're have to, if they going to be up ahead, if they're going to be up a lot by a lot, then I'm just trying to think who's going to be running down the clock. And I wouldn't be surprised if they split that also down the middle. So... Yeah. Well, the thing is, you're, you're right. Remove the 98-yard run, and Ronald Jones's numbers look drastically different. But Fournette's numbers were kind of just as bad in the last three weeks. Against the Giants, 52 rushing yards, 19 receiving yards. So that's 10 PPR points. It's respectable. Uh, 41 uh, against New Orleans. Uh, that would be receiving yards. And then against Carolina, only five points. The thing is, with these... Buccaneers running backs. They have Minnesota, Atlanta, and Detroit in the fantasy playoffs. And a lot of those run defenses, particularly Atlanta and Detroit, uh, 
can't stop anything. So if you have them, you almost have to start them in the key weeks. So if if you're asking me which one I'd be more comfortable starting going forward, a week ago it would have been Fournette. Now it's Ronald Jones. What will it be next week? Uh, that's the problem, and that's partly Bruce Arians also. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, next. Uh, I believe you want to know about the Chiefs, correct? Yes, the Chiefs. Okay, the Chiefs. So the numbers I have here, first of all, the Chiefs, for any of you out there worrying, Le'Veon Bell is a non-factor. So it's still the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire show. The numbers show, no pun intended, 53% of the snaps, 30% of the snaps for Bell. So the 53 is Clyde. And Daryl Williams in the last four weeks actually has a fifth of the snaps, 20%. Uh, obviously not many uh, actual touches. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it's still his backfield to lose. Um, the average touches in the last four weeks for him are uh, 14. Uh, of those 11 are carries, and then Bell is at five carries and seven touches. So he's out touching him to the one. Uh, Andy Reid seems to want to run with the rookie. And um, it's clear that they brought Bell in as a plan B in case he hits that rookie wall, in my opinion. I don't know if you would buy what I'm telling you. So, yeah, that's about it. Ralph, anything to add there? Yeah, I was one of those guys who drafted Edward Dillaire in the first round, thinking I was going to get a nice piece of the offense at Kansas City. And I ended up trading him when I heard about the Bell news to get uh, Michael Thomas. And honestly, I'm kind of relieved because his his numbers have gone down over ever since Bell's gotten there. Even though the the touches of snap share, whatever, it's every all that is kind of like, um, all that's kind of yeah, okay, it's pretty, and it looks like he's still number one. But really, in this offense, it's Mahomes Mahomes first, right? And if it's Mahomes first, then you can't put Edwards Alaire ahead of either Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, right? So for me, it's kind of like if the games are competitive, I don't think he's going to, unless they get to the goal line, I don't really see him cashing in fantasy-wise. And maybe if they're ahead, then he'll get like 20 rush attempts. Maybe that'll be the way he becomes fantasy relevant. But to me, that's too situationally dependent. And I much prefer, I mean, if you have him, you're definitely going to start him because, I mean, he's still part of the Chiefs offense. So, you know, just that alone will make him more attractive than the vast majority of the running backs out there. But as for expectations, I don't expect too, too much. If you end up with a touchdown, fantastic. You're thanking your stars if you end up getting 100 yards same thing it's unbelievable but for me i'm not really expecting him to go uh close to those i mean you could get a touchdown here and there and but the yardage wise i'm not i'm not a big um believer in what's coming up fair enough sir fair enough um, i'm looking at the other ones i had here uh, just briefly the bills a 50 50 split between moss and singletary and moss gets the red zone work so just something to keep in mind there Chargers, it's been the Balazs show. Kelly's on the field but not getting the ball as much. It's about a 3-1 to one split in favor of touches for Balazs. The Pats, we went into detail on. And the Washington football team, I think we talked about me. So I think we're all done with the running back snap counts. Fantastic. So now we're going to move moving on to another listener's question. Um, it's a trade offer. 
uh, submitted by a good friend of ours, Ignacio Valdez Manzanero. He got an offer that was Devontae Parker, Carson Wentz, and Edwards Allaire, who we just talked about, for Chris Carson, Lamar Jackson, and CeeDee Lamb. What do you think? Uh, if I'm evaluating this trade uh, just at a cursory level, C.D. Lamb is pretty much a non-factor in this deal. So if you look at it, it's Lamar Jackson, who granted has massively underperformed, and Chris Carson, who Iggy would be about to get back, uh, or Edward Hilaire, who we just discussed as not being a true RB1. So I guess you would kind of compare Clyde Edwards Hilaire's production to Chris Carson's. I don't know if you agree with me there. Based on what I just said, I think Chris Carson can be um, will Better. produce more than as if it's a. Okay, that's interesting. So I have them as kind of more or less equal, just um, just based on Hilaire's, uh consistency. Well, fun fact for Chris Carson, I believe the Seahawks are undefeated while he plays, while they haven't <laughs> won a game while he doesn't play. Okay, so yeah, he's a difference maker for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, then you're looking at a swap of Lamar Jackson for Carson Wentz and Devontae Parker as a throw-in. I'd have to pull up Devontae Parker's numbers with Tua. Um, you'll just bear with me. I can do it in two seconds. Here. I'm just going to throw my two cents in while you're looking for that. For when I look at it, I just picture it like, okay, Carson is a ma- I think he's a major upgrade over Edwards Alaire. Like I see Edwards Alaire as kind of being like a mask thrown in, throw in there as a number one option, but I really don't believe it. I think Carson's way is going to be way better than Edwards Alaire is going to be later on. And then I compare Jackson and Wentz, and I mean you know Lamar Jackson. Sure, their offense is predictable and fizzling, fizzling right now but still he could run the ball that makes him super valuable fantasy wise and he's part of a better offense than what's in philly so right there i think jackson is an upgrade over wentz and then parker and lamb the thing about parker is that he's been suffering fantasy wise while Tua has been his quarterback and you have cd lamb where it's hard to even predict, like, okay, the, he had a game, one game, two games with Andy Dalton, I think just one game, then a game with um, with Gary ben, Gilbert. Ben DiNucci. And then, and the then a game with Ben DiNucci. So it's yeah. kind of like it's hard to know what Lamb is with Dalton, who will be the guy. So right there between – those are two massive question marks, Lamb and Parker. Maybe Parker slightly better than Lamb, but, you know, just with the Carson, Jackson, and Alaire Wentz side, I tip this heavily in favor of Manoli, the guy who was offering a trade to Iggy. Like, if I were Iggy, I wouldn't do this deal. There's definitely better deals out there, Iggy. Wink, wink, check your messages. <laughs> okay, so Parker's stats were actually way better with Fitzmagic. Uh, he was consistently over 10 points per game, and since uh, Tua Tagovailoa got the job, he's been under uh, 10 points, more or less, on average. Uh, Parker and Lamb is kind of a wash. They're both not startable, and then pretty much dissected very well with uh, the advantage of Lamar Jackson over Carson Wentz is huge, in my opinion. 
Um, I'd have to look at the, the difference maker could be uh, Edward Siller's playoff schedule, but I can't imagine even that's enough to make up for how lopsided this trade is. No, I think Seattle has a way better schedule than Kansas City down the stretch. Yeah, so I mean, if you're going to put all your eggs in the Edward Siller basket, well, the price in this case is, is pretty high, so I would also stay away from that trade. I think that's it. Do we have any other questions? None that I can see here. No, unless you have a question for me and I have a question for you, but I don't, so do you. <laughs> uh, let's keep him for Friday. Sounds good. Can't wait. So I really hope you all had fun listening to us today. Um, and I really hope you have a wonderful week and a fantastic waiver wire and you get everyone you want and we will come back with matchup previews and the whole kit on friday so have yourselves a great night and great week may the fantasy gods be ever in your favor everyone peace out bye bye